So we're looking at uh, uh, lifelines. Lifelines are those scripture passages that resonate with us to some level. And so we pulled the congregation. Different people gave different scriptures. Some of you gave 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which goes like this. Love is patient and love is... If you've been to a wedding in the last 42 years, you will have heard this passage. And so when I thought about this, I thought, oh, man. I thought, well, I'll just grab an old wedding sermon and preach that. But no, I'm not doing that to you. Um, it seems like a sermon on love would not be misplaced. We've got Israel and Gaza. We've got Russia and Crimea. We've got airlines being shot down and disappearing. We've got children showing up on our borders homeless or being abducted in Africa. Just, I mean, horrible things going on there. We've got Christians, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ being persecuted and put to the sword or displaced in the Middle East. Uh, what the world needs now is love. Can I get an amen? Amen. Our family situations are oftentimes no better. We've got brokenness and disillusionment and bitterness that makes reconciliation difficult. Um, and our children are being raised on even shakier foundations than we ourselves were. And the church, where they should know we are Christians by our love, is oftentimes the last place people think to look to actually find love. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And that's why the letter is called Corinthians, because it's written to the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthian church was really no better, no worse than ours. Um, they had their issues. We all have our issues. The Corinthian church, they were having trouble, one, uh, serving communion and not letting it dissolve into a food fight because some people got served first and others got served second. Uh, they were getting upset because some people were being asked to speak and others weren't, or they were speaking over each other, and, and big speaking fights were happening within the congregation. We've never had that happen. Tobin, you want to do it? You want to try it? <laughs> preach it amen knock on wood um, uh, they were trying to be an effective witness to outsiders and they really were not even being kind and loving to insiders which sort of affected their witness to outsiders don't you think so Paul in chapter 12 he spends a lot of time talking about how you're all gifted differently. You're all different. Your personalities are different. Your talents are different. Your skill sets are different. And rather than let that be a source of animosity and contention and rivalry, we should instead embrace that and say, yes, this is how the body of Christ gets stronger. This is how our witness becomes more effective. This is how our mission gets done by people using their skills where they're weak. I'm strong. Where I'm, I'm strong, you're weak. That's, that's, or vice versa, however that works there. But in any case, Getting organized, getting your mission board together, getting your spiritual gift assessments, all that stuff is great. But in the end, he says, here's what you need to know. This is the best way. This is the excellent way of thinking about this. And so we begin in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Let's read together, shall we? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. First thing I find in this, giftedness is no substitute for love. Whether you speak in tongues or whether you don't, you know what? I don't care. What I care about is how you treat me. Are you kind to me? Are you loving to me? Do you make me feel better or worse? 
Now, we've got people in our, in our congregation who are incredibly talented. I was down at Orleans last night with Tobin and Scott Todd and Brett Raper on the fiddle and Virginia Gathery was singing. And I'm sitting back there. I think I had a, a sort of a, a, a spiritual worship moment when Virginia sang Summertime and the Living is Easy. I'm like, yes, Lord, it is easy. It is easy in the summertime. It was amazing. I thought, you know what's great about these people? They're so talented, and yet their attitude is one of service. How can we be a blessing to people? Anytime you find people lording their gifts or talents over you, the only people that really want to listen to them are the ones who don't know them. Thankfully, the more I know Tobin, the more I appreciate his skill on the bagpipe. It's the only thing that makes me appreciate his skill on the bagpipe. <laughs> Intelligence is no substitute for love. We want to be wise, we want to be understanding, we want to understand biblical truth, but we've all been around people who think they're smarter than they really are. These people can be irritating. They can be annoying. Amen. <laughs> I'd rather spend the whole day with a good-natured, kind Goomba than two minutes with a know-it-all. I find them insufferable, and I'm not the only one. Paul says, it doesn't matter how much you know, if, if your knowledge puffs you up, then you're nothing. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Our knowledge should build people up. How are you using no your knowledge to do that? Efficiency is no substitute for love. Efficiency? Where in the scripture does Paul talk about efficiency? Well, remember when he says, if I have faith that can move mountains? We all know people who are get-it-done kind of people. There ain't no mountain high enough to stop them from doing what they want to do. And the church needs people like that. There are enough obstacles in this world. You need people who can get it done. Near my neighborhood where I'm living, um, there's some, they're clearing off some, some uh, ground, um, and they've got the bulldozers, the trucks out there. And, and if I'm there during the day, I see them in action. Um, by the time I get home, usually they've, they've called it quits for the day. So I, I see what they've done through the day, and I, walk, I drive by at night, and I see the empty bulldozers there in the trucks, and uh, the trucks have their, their, their um, uh, beds up, and, and the bulldozers are still. And I thought, how, what a freaky horror story it would be if those bulldozers just decided to take on a life of their own and start, I mean, you laugh, but wouldn't it be? That's a I mean, how much destruction can a bulldozer do without, without anyone there guiding the steering wheel? The same is true when we, uh, when we let our can-do attitude and our get-or-done attitude run rampant without love in the driver's seat, without love guiding the steering wheel, we leave a wake of destruction behind us. And then we understand why people don't appreciate what we do. You got it done, but man, you split the church over it. So love people as you're being efficient. Move mountains, certainly, but do it in a loving way. Sacrifice is no substitute for love. Three years ago, Brad and I were in India. We were visiting Deepak and Simi Dingra and their ministry there. We were in this Indian town. There was a million people on that block. That's just how Indian towns are. So crowded. And everywhere you look, there's something interesting to see. And Brad said, hey, look over there. And I, and I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. He goes, that guy with, the, with his followers, what well, was an Indian guru? He was walking through the town, and he had a, a trail of followers behind him, and they were collecting money for the poor or something, I don't know, or money for him, I don't know. But, uh, but he, 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 uh, is anyone here easily offended? <laughs> he was naked, not just sparsely clothed. He was naked, naked, naked. And, 
And do you understand what I'm trying to say when I say he was not the attractive kind of naked? <laughs> you know, you go to the museums, you see Rembrandt, you see all these beautiful paintings and sculptures, you go, oh, they picked attractive people. Now, he was doing that. He was an ascetic, and he had done that to demonstrate that he needed nothing. He had divested himself of all that the world offered, and he said, I, I, am, I, am, I am content within myself. But I looked around, and I said, I don't know that his sort of uh, nakedness is improving the lot of anyone around me. It's certainly not improving my life at all. <laughs> Paul says this, you know, we can give our bodies, we can get rid of it all, we can donate our bodies to science, or... Give it a, and if we don't have love, then it really means nothing. You may impress some people, but you don't impress God. So, Paul's established why love is important and more important than other things. And he says this, let's talk about what love looks like. Now, Jesse said, I decided to be nice. Sometimes we wrap love up into sort of this sentimental, hallmark sort of attitude, mushy-gushy stuff, and we, we wait for the warm feelings, and we wait for the, oh, I just love them, they're so sweet. Well, sometimes people aren't sweet. So what do we do then? We have to decide to be loving. Here's, here's how Paul says it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Are we, are we feeling our toes stepped on just a little bit so far? Anyone? Hmm, I notice your amens are a little bit more subdued on that. <laughs> Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. You know, this kind of love does not, does not come fully formed, does not arise fully formed in our, in our breasts the moment we rise from the baptismal waters. We don't come out of the water dripping wet and with love for all mankind. No. That kind of love requires training. Amen? Effort. Discipline. Practice. Work. Love works. A little hard work never hurt anyone, my grandma used to say. In this instance, it helps everyone. Love works at being patient and kind. There's a little song I learned when I was a kid. Maybe you know it. If you know it, sing it with me. Have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. So think of all the times when others have to wait on you. Thank you very much. I didn't write that song. <laughs> Consideration of others' feelings, especially the people that, that are difficult and, and attempting to understand them, even those who are the most cantankerous learn to appreciate that, and they know that you care about them. And kindness. How hard is it to be kind? Kindness is just simply doing something nice for someone without any expectation of a return. We're going to have a furniture giveaway here in a couple of weeks. And you know what? It's a simple thing to volunteer, to donate, and yet it makes such a big difference in people's lives. That's kindness. Two, love works at not envying. Victor Hugo said the wicked envy and hate. It is their way of admiring. Hmm. 
Hmm. I envy everybody. I envy the guy over there on Roar Road. You know the one I'm talking about. His, his yard is amazing. There on the corner, the grass is clipped to perfection. The shrubs are just shaped beautifully. The, there's always some flowers out in front. I drive by his house and go, I want that yard. Then I go by the condos and go, man, all I really want is a concrete patio. That's all I have. That'd be great. Just a little concrete patio would be perfect. I'm envious of those guys who can shop at Walmart and look like, the, like a, a model. I, I spend 100 bucks on a pair of pants at Macy's. I don't spend 100 pair of pants at Macy's, by the way. But if I were, I would still look like the schlump I look like when I'm wearing <laughs> my $15 pair of pants from Walmart. I don't look better. I can spend a lot of money on clothes that does nothing to me. I'm jealous of people who can look good in just about anything. I'm a little bit jealous of the guy who didn't wear anything in India. <laughs> he, has, he has nothing to think about when he gets up. You get up, wipe down, I'm ready to go. Oh, I'm, I'm jealous of those guys who have high-powered jobs. I think if you would give me control of, of really four nations, that's all I want, just four. <laughs> For 24 hours, that's all I want. I could clear a lot of this stuff up. I could. But I'm also really jealous and envious of the... Remember when Walmart had greeters? And you'd walk in, and the guy would be there with a smile on his face. He goes, hey, welcome to Walmart. And I remember thinking, how do I get this job? He shows up, he, says, he smiles, says pleasant things. He goes home at night at 6 o'clock. He doesn't think about his job until the next day when he shows up and does it all over again. Man, wouldn't that be a great life? I envy everybody. When I'm envious, what I'm doing is I'm comparing myself to someone else and realizing, invariably I realize this, that their life is better than mine. And I hate them for it. I don't hate them for it. I just dislike them for it. I just begrudge them for it. You know, Scott's over there playing piano, the communion music today, and I'm thinking, that is so beautiful. I would just love to go slam the lid on his fingers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wouldn't really slam the lid on his fingers. I'm thinking, come on, Scott, dial it back just a little bit. Don't make the rest of it look so bad. Envy is the art of counting someone else's blessings instead of your own. Instead, love is happy and rejoices when others succeed, when they move ahead, when they are honored, when they're recognized. Three, love works at humility. Love does not boast, it is not proud. Why do we feel the need to puff ourselves up? Well, we want to appear better than we really are. I came across this picture this week, and I, I don't even know what this bird is. Anyone know what that is? Man, he's an ugly fella, isn't he? Maybe more ridiculous than ugly, but this is what we look like when we, when we puff ourselves up. We don't look any better. You think you do, but, but we all know you don't. <laughs> I don't know what kind of bird it is, but he just looks ridiculous. Love never seeks to assert superiority over someone else. Love seeks to serve others. You all know this passage from John chapter 13. Jesus in the upper room. Thirteen people in that room at least, and only one of them was kind enough and loving enough to put an apron on and wash the other's feet. Love never feels the urge to boast because it knows that its own acceptance is based totally on grace. Four, love works at honoring others. I know you think that I run this church. <laughs> yeah, I do so good here. Give me put me in charge of Libya. That would be great. No, I, 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 I'm a figurehead. 
Roger's a figurehead. Tom's a figurehead. We, we wave our hand and, and come out on the balcony like the queen. And show her. there's a whole host of people behind us that make this thing happen. Nancy and Elizabeth and Jeff, who led worship this morning, assistant technical director. He's amazing. Just a great guy. And he makes things happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. Tim Bedwell, I mean, Ken up there in the balcony. These guys get it done, and you don't even know them. Love, um, that's what love does. And so my job is to love them by honoring them and recognizing them. We humbly recognize the people in our lives who got us to the point where we are today. They make us look good. Honor them, acknowledge them, brag on them, recognize them, boast on them loudly and often. They got you where you are today. Love works at forgiveness. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I checked out the IRS website, not because I, I need to, but because I was interested in this. How long are we supposed to keep our tax records? Seven years? Do you know the, the website now says three years? Three years. If, you've, if you're under special circumstances, you, you hold on to them seven, or six or seven. But most of us schlubs, three years is plenty. How, often, how long do we hold on to these records of wrongdoing that we, that we hide in our heart? Mmm, that'll preach. That'll preach. Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. 24 hours, that's all you got. Enjoy it. You've only got 24 hours with it. Max it out and then let it go. If we're going to lead, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to have an effective witness, then we've got to lead with clean hands and a pure heart. So don't be keeping this stuff in a secret file somewhere up in your attic and dig it out every time you want to. No, you've got to let it go. Love forgives. Psalm says this, if you, Lord, kept a record of wrongs, <laughs> who could stand? Not one of us. None of us in this room could. Certainly not me. There's no shortage of slights and offenses in life. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to recognize, hey, we have received amazing grace, and we got to give amazing grace. Amen. Amen. Love works at doing the right thing. Just because you're forgiving, just because you're gracious, doesn't mean you have to indulge evil. You do not indulge wrongdoing. In fact, we're quick to speak up. When we see abuse, when we see wrong or evil happening, we speak out. Love is just, and it wants to make sure just things happen, good things happen. Not so we can get revenge or um, seek retribution, because we want people who are broken, and broken people break people. Have you know, do you know that? Broken people break other people. So we want broken people to get healing and to get well and to get healthy. So let love speak up. Say the truth. Speak the truth. Love wants the very best for others. Love always works. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I want you to meet a friend of mine, um, uh, Elizabeth Edwards, Lisa Edwards, and her son, Jacob. Uh, I want you to hear their story because I think it has a lot to do with how love doesn't give up. Jacob is 10 and a half. He suffers from many conditions, hydrocephalus, cerebral palsy, but the main thing is, is that he is missing several parts of his brain. So they know the parts that are missing have to do with the physical and the oral speech, but he does have the part of the brain that understands. So that's very important to know that he understands everything that's going on. He likes to be included in everything. He loves going to the movies. You know, he can't speak or he can't move on his own, but he kind of alerts me 
through cues, through his eye gaze, through some words he can say mom, and he lets me know his needs. I have been fortunate enough while I was getting my education degree at IU to be offered a position to run a ministry. And then I had a call from a lady who had a child that she could no longer care for and could I offer free care? And I said, absolutely. So she brought the baby, he was six months old. Uh, mom was incarcerated at the time and mom got out and she asked me if I would keep him. Um, and my kids were already attached to him at that time so that there was no doubt. My youngest son had begged for a brother or sister. Um, he was about three and a half at the time and he just wanted, he wanted a baby and Jacob was his baby. So there was no going back. So I took him up to Riley and you know, I'm like, okay. And they're like, you know, he has hydrocephalus. He needs these medicines. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I, for the first year fed him every hour on the hour. So even through the night and I work when I was working full time, he has to be taken care of every two hours. You know, he needs that care to be rolled because he can't move on his own. Um, he needs to be fed. He wears a BiPAP at night, which helps him breathe. And so all these alarms go off throughout the night. So you just kind of program yourself and I sleep very close to him so that if anything goes or there's a problem, I can jump up and help him. Looking back, I had a child that was obviously very underweight, um, suffering from failure to thrive, and I knew that he had some issues, you know, but I didn't know the seriousness of those. So I truly believed in my heart that if I could get him proper nutrition and therapy, you know, I knew that he would have some issues, but I really thought for the first two years that if I can just do this, he can, he'll be able to do more things independently. But by the time that he was three, it was evident to me Jacob was just gonna be who he was. And that was the love of our lives and he was gonna rely on us for everything and we were gonna continue to care for him and love for him. There was never a moment, never a moment that we ever thought, you know, that we would not do this. I know there's families out there that are struggling and they, they see Jacob and they're like, wow, she's doing that all on her own. She's a single parent and I'm doing it because God called me to do it, but it's the love in my heart that they see, and I want them to see that love is, is attainable. You just have to open your heart to that. I do believe that God chose me to care for Jacob and for my other children, and I'm my only prayer as a mother is, is that when I get to heaven, you know, God will say, where are the kids that I gave you? And I can name them and he can see them and we'll all be there together. I think it's very important that they understand that I said yes to love many years ago. And I still say that every day through all the challenges. And uh, I'm not a special or extraordinary person. I'm just like everybody else. And, uh, but I do have special children that I love. Well, she's a little bit better than I am. She may not be anything special, but amen. <laughs> yes, yes, amen. <laughs> but I, I love what Lisa said. You know, she's, the opportunity to love presents itself all the time, and we say yes to it. You know, everything else fails and changes. Um, Paul just goes through the list here. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, all that stuff. It doesn't last. It'll go away. When I was a child, I talked like a child.
I was a cute child, by the way. I would have shown you a picture, but you'd all just been jealous about how good looking I was. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I love that Paul is able to do that. I find it hard. My five-year-old self still wants to come and, and jump on my lap and say, hey, pay attention to me. That my five-year-old self is that part of me that gets jealous when someone has something I don't want or that I don't have. That part of me that wants my own way, that part that thinks only about myself, the part that finds it hard to share, the part that gets upset easily and holds on to grudges forever. I don't really like my five-year-old self that much. So Paul says, I put that away and I try. I try to put that away. So I use words, and I think, and I respond in adult ways. This past week, we buried a dear, dear member here of Sherwood Oaks, uh, Evelyn Alexander. She was 94 years old, and she had been here for who knows, since, since Noah. But she had been serving and volunteering up until the very end. In fact, when I saw her in the hospital, she was saying, I don't know who's going to pick up so-and-so and bring them to church. I'm thinking, have you been picking her, them up and bringing them to church? You're 94 years. I didn't say that, but I thought, oh, my word. <laughs> a great lady. But uh, when her family went into her apartment to find, to kind of collect her belongings and kind of get some stuff uh, together, they, they found a little to-do list standing beside her phone. And it was a special kind of to-do list. It was a remember to-do list. And here's what it said. Keep it simple. Don't wear your feelings on your sleeve. Learn to compromise. Be kind compassionate, no gossip, discreet, tactful, meet the other person halfway, develop right attitude, ask someone to lunch. She never asked me to lunch. <laughs> Listen to their stories, communicate, learn something new about a person, help others. Here's what I love about Evelyn. 94 years old and she did not make the mistake that some of us make, that somehow we've learned all we need to learn, that we've arrived that we're emotionally mature, that we don't have to improve at all. At 94 years old, Evelyn was still saying, no, I still wrestle with five-year-old Evelyn. She still wants to get my attention. And I have to say, no, I'm going to remind myself to be 94-year-old Evelyn. Don't we want to be that person? Makes me admire her even more. Two weeks ago, Evelyn saw the world as in a mirror, smoky, hazy. Now she sees face to face. Everything changes. Amen. Music, it's all changed. The songs I sang 20 years ago, you would go, what? The methodology we use here, it was completely different 24, 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, in, in the future, it'll be completely different again. People, some of us will be here tomorrow and some of us won't. Everything changes. But what doesn't change is the need to love each other and for love to be the preeminent characteristic of the church. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing, the only thing, think about the things that matter to you about a church. The worship, the preaching, the lights, the pews. The only thing that matters, Galatians says, is that faith expresses itself in love. So here's how we're going to end the service. It's, it's, our time is up. But some of you may be uh, aware of the news, what's happening to our brothers and sisters in the faith in Iraq. They have been faced with um, horrible uh, choices. One, to leave their homes, to stay and convert, or stay and be killed. 
Um, and so many of them have left the country, and they fleed over the border uh, to uh, Kurdistan, I believe. Here's what's really cool about this, because the story does have a cool ending. Um, over, well, thousands of Christians have crossed the border. There's a Muslim relief agency in Kurdistan, headed by a guy who has roots right here in Bloomington, Indiana. He came years ago as a student to IU. He met a family here at Sherwood Oaks. He shared meals with them and conversations with them, developed a relationship with them, had Thanksgiving right down there in the fellowship hall one year. He went back to his country, not a convert to Christianity. He's still a Muslim. But because of his contact here and the way he saw the church interact with each other, his life was impacted. And now he is heading up and overseeing the relief agencies that are helping Christians who have been displaced by, their, by, their, by the enemies. And so they're there, they're getting milk for their babies, they're getting shelter, they're getting food. Someone's taking care of them. These are, these are our friends who, who, in many parts of the world, we would be considered enemies. And yet these people said, we want to do something, we want to love these people that we grew to know and love in Indiana. So this is why kindness matters. You do not know. We see through a glass darkly. We do not know the mysterious ways and twists that God takes to accomplish his purposes. But right now we have brothers and sisters who are dying and need help. And we have Muslim friends who are helping them. And we're going to pray that God bless them. So, we're going to take a few moments. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters for their safety, of course. And then we're going to pray a blessing on um, what sometimes people would consider our enemies. So we're going to take a moment just to do it and quietly, and I'll close this out, and Jeff will come and we'll sing a song together, and then we'll be done. But remember this, love takes effort, and it's no good saying it if you don't do it.